Well, good morning. My name is Tyler Martin, and I gave my life to Jesus 10 years ago through the ministry of Hallmark Baptist Church. And so I am honored today to be uh, being sent off as a church planter on behalf of Hallmark. So thank you very much uh, for all that you mean to me. I wanted to preach a message that I'd never preached before, as in like, I was going to try and preach a text and say thank you at the same time, just let all my illustrations be great memories. I've had a Hallmark. It was a complete and utter fail. You are so happy and glad that I did not do that. So I'm just going to preach to you something that God put on my heart, just a basic text of Scripture that God always uses to change our lives, right? It's, it's just Scripture, right? It's, it's what changes our lives. So I just want to preach God's Word to you this morning, and then I'm going to try and read a thank you letter. Can we do that? All right. I remember as a kid, uh, my aunt Barbara and Uncle Harrison, I've got lots of family back over here, and so they'll, they'll recognize this story. But Aunt Barbara and Uncle Harrison had a severe, severe lapse of judgment in that they decided that every year they were going to invite every kid, grandkid, niece, nephew to their home for the weekend and they were going to build Chris or gingerbread houses. They were going to do the Christmas story and have my Uncle Harrison's famous pancakes. And then we were going to do the nativity story play. Again, that was like 17 kids. It was a severe lapse of judgment that they decided to do that every year. Um, but I remember during that time that my aunt and uncle, during the gingerbread house building part, they would come around and they'd always ask, how's your house coming along, right? And there was some of us, I see my, my cousin Crystal, she's here. She always had the coolest gingerbread houses. I was always jealous of her, so whatever. But she always took time and dedicated it and, and she always got the coolest awards. And then, you know, they'd come around to mine, how's your house coming along, Tyler? And I was of the camp that I would rather eat my house than build it. And so, how many of y'all would rather eat your gingerbread house? That is the best icing in the world. You just, uh. Anyways, I never could build much more than just like the basic structure because I'd eat everything else. Um, but I remember that my aunt and my uncle, they would always come around and then we'd give prizes, you know. And I felt like they always had to come up with something creative to give me and several other of my cousins that just ate our houses. Um, but they would always ask, how's your house coming along? And whether it's a gingerbread house or whether you're building a house, it's the question that a lot of people ask you is, how's your house coming along? People want to know, how is this thing being built? How, what process are you in? How is it going? What's your thought process behind it? And so this morning, the text that we're going to be in today, I, I think that a good question is really, how is your house coming along? And so my question for us this morning, Hallmark, is how is your house coming along? And so please join me in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 1 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and, and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For, at, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, verse 9, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's scoot this over here because I'm not as cool as John. and can't go off to the side. It was throwing me off. I love this passage. I don't know why God put it on my heart to preach it here. Maybe you need to hear from it. Um, but I'm super excited to preach this to you today. And as you look in the very beginning, he starts out and says, so put away. Right? There's a good Bible reading skill that when you see a so, ask so what? Well, what is he talking about? Why does he say so? Well, chapter 1, he's talking about salvation. And he's writing to various churches that have been scattered about throughout persecution. And he says in chapter 1, you were hell bound. You were going away doing your own thing in your own way of life, but God, being rich in mercy, stopped you. He intervened and he helped you to trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, Now that salvation, God, first off, you were running from God. God got in front of you and he saved your soul. Not only that, but it's not a cheap salvation either, it's a salvation that's imperishable, undefiled. Um, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded. Did you ever know that God's your bodyguard if you're a believer? It says your salvation is kept in heaven, guarded by God. That's an amazing gift. So chapter 2 starts, so because of that, because of the awesomeness of what I just told you, put away all these things. Now, he doesn't, this is what, what blew my mind as I was reading this text. He doesn't say put away adultery. He doesn't say put away these addictions. He doesn't say put away drunkenness. Now, I'm not saying that the text, the Bible doesn't say that, right? I'm not giving you a free pass to go do all those things. But he just talked about salvation. He's writing to this church and he says put away all these things. And he doesn't hit like the, you know, the big ones that we always hear about. He says malice, a desire for someone to be harmed or in danger. Deceit, being shady and getting away with stuff to trick people. Hypocrisy, being two-faced, acting one way and in reality you're the complete opposite. Envy, I wish I had his truck, right? So angrily wishing that you had someone else's stuff and thinking less of them because they have it or evil of them, and then all slander. 
speaking evil or speaking against somebody. What in the world? Why would he not name some bigger ones like, hey, don't cheat on your husband, don't cheat on your wife, don't punch someone in the face, right? Why didn't he hit some of those? Well, he's building a house. And if you have your bulletins or if you look on the screens, that, um, as I looked through this text, I saw that God is, is handcrafting Hallmark. Right now, not in this text, but, you know, it, it applies. God is handcrafting Hallmark to be a spiritual house to worship him. And his blueprint requires that we put away divisive behavior, requires that we keep Christ as the cornerstone, and we proclaim him, and it requires that we wage war against sin, against personal sin. And so right here we're looking at these sins, and they're all harmful to the community. And so if we want to be the house, Hallmark, that God is handcrafting, then we're going to have to put away divisive behavior. Everyone thinks when they open that gingerbread house box kit that their house is going to look just like the one in the picture. Now, if you're my cousin Crystal, you can do that. If you're me, you can't, right? And so you got to have everything right. You've got to mix the icing just right. Sometimes it's too thick. Sometimes it's too thin, right? And you've all seen those destroyed houses. That, like you just literally start watching the roof fall. And how many of y'all, that's happened to me. And you just watch the roof fall. And then when that roof falls, then the walls collapse, right? There's nothing wrong with your foundation. You've got that really cheap little plastic thing that you put everything in, Right? They do need to make better foundations for those, by the way. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's got slots. You put it in the right place. What's wrong is you built it wrong. And unfortunately, as God's trying to build us together as a spiritual house, as a church, when we let malice or envy or slander or these harmful things to the community come into our lives and we don't keep them in check, it causes the roof to slide. It causes the walls to cave. I remember uh, just a moment of transparency uh, sometime in 2017, something that one of my friends on staff said made me mad. That's not uncommon. We make each other mad all the time. But I didn't forgive him. And I just kept that chip on my shoulder. And then I let it keep going on. And then because I had a jaded view because of that, then the next time someone said anything about me, they didn't even mean it wrong. Or if they did, who cares? You forgive people. Everyone sins, right? But then I let that make me mad. And then I saw malice and envy and slander and deceit come into my heart in a way that it has never in my entire life. I've had lots of other problems with sins. Loving people, never been one of those. I love people. But there was a six-month journey where because I let one of these sins go unrepented of, it grew and it festered in my heart. And now, Hallmark, you may not have noticed that, but I guarantee you the staff did. They felt the weight of me not having the joy I used to have. They felt the weight of me not being a team player. There wasn't near as many outreach events planned during that six-month span because I didn't have any joy. And I'm grateful to God that John asked me how I was doing, and he helped me to come to repentance and, and to apologize to the staff. 
But you don't have to look any further than the short little chubby dude on stage to know that you can't live life with these sins. I'm sorry to you that I didn't serve you as well as I should have during that time. It was because I chose to let malice and envy and slander and, and deceit come into my life and not repent of it. And so, guys, if we want to be the house that God is handcrafting, we have got to put away divisive behaviors. And instead, we must crave pure spiritual milk. He doesn't just say, hey, stop doing that, right? Christianity is not about what you can't do. Now, when I got saved, I couldn't do a lot of the things I was doing, okay? I had to change. But it's not about what you don't do. It's about what you get to lay hold of. It's about what you get to enjoy. And he says, don't let these divisive behaviors come into your life. Rather, crave the pure spiritual milk. Now, if you're a parent or if you've even been around a toddler or an infant, you know there is a cry that only milk can satisfy, right? And you hear it. You, hey, sweet little, ah! And you're like, okay, okay, calm down. Maybe, maybe her teeth are hurting. No, give her some milk and she'll be quiet. And then they kind of fall asleep and it's awesome, right? Peter is saying to us through the Holy Spirit, Put away all these things that's going to bring division among you. Rather, crave for God's untainted, unadulterated spiritual milk that by it you may grow up. See, as a Christian, you've got longings and desires that only Christ can satisfy. And if you let all these other divisive behaviors come into your heart, sin will never satisfy. And so we long for the pure spiritual milk. That pure spiritual milk is that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. He's saving us. He's making us more like him. He's bringing us, he's preparing us for an eternity, a wedding in heaven where we get to be with him in perfection and in paradise. And so not only do we have to put away divisive behaviors, but if we want to be the house that God is handcrafting, then we've also got to keep Christ as the cornerstone and proclaim him to a watching world. Now, if you have a bulletin, that second point's not in there. That's my fault, not Joy's. I added it after I sent her my outline, right? Sorry, Joy. So you see in there it says we must keep Christ as the cornerstone and we must proclaim him to a watching world. If you read the book of 1 Peter, the first chapter, dude, you're saved. Oh, my goodness, you're not supposed to be saved, but God is great and you're saved. Chapter 2 is, now don't act like a fool. Chapter 3, 4, and 5 is here's how to not act like a fool because there's lots of people who are on their way to hell that are watching your life and they want to see what's different. One of our favorite evangelism passages comes out of the book of Peter. It says, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have. He's talking about the reason you get to answer that question is because you live different than everyone else. You don't talk bad about people. Man, how many times have I had to go to the Lord and ask him to forgive me for having divisive behaviors. So we put those away and we keep Christ as the cornerstone. He says, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's two big differences here. You've got people who believe there's no shame. Then there's the stone that the builders rejected. Right, so you've got a building crew, they bring in this big stone. No, we don't want that. Ha, throw it out. 
Too bad that was the stone that was going to make the house stand. Right? In the architecture of this time, there was a cornerstone, much like you would build a foundation. Right? And so it either was a big stone in the kind of the floor section of a house that you would then build up. They built everything with stone, right? They didn't have two-by-fours. Or if you had a big arch, it was the big stone right in the middle that held all that together. How they've got those big heavy stones up there, I don't know. But we're talking about a house, and so we can just imagine as God is building the spiritual house in the foundation Christ is the cornerstone. That if you pull Christ out, it's not going to work. That's why it breaks my heart when I see churches trying to be like the world. How are you going to be like the world to reach the world? The world is going to be drawn to you because you're different. And we keep Christ as our cornerstone. He is who we live and die by. This is the everything of our faith is Christ. I think about uh, several years ago, maybe you're familiar with this, that I believe it was Allen High School. They're an amazing football team, and they built this multi-million dollar stadium, and it was going to be the big deal. You know, oh my goodness. There was foundation issues, and it was cracked. So they wasted several million dollars. Because if your foundation is off, no matter what your intentions are, you will fall. Christ is saying, I don't care how many people you help, I don't care what you do, if I am not the foundation on which you're serving people, then it is all for nothing. If we want to be the house that God is handcrafting, we must put away divisive behavior and we must keep Christ as our cornerstone. I'm so grateful. I, I have a letter to thank you guys, but I'm so grateful for our pastoral staff and that even in the midst of different changes, and I know everyone has different opinions on change. We're not going to get into that. This is a happy Sunday for me. Um, our staff keeps Christ as the cornerstone. You'll never attend a service at Hallmark where Christ is not the cornerstone. You'll never go to a staff meeting where Christ is not the cornerstone. You'll never see a business meeting or a, or a, a deacon's meeting where Christ is not the cornerstone. And so I'm grateful for that. So we put away divisive behavior uh, and we keep Christ as the cornerstone and we proclaim him to a watching world. Now, you're familiar, check this out, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Boom. Why? Why does all this matter, Tyler? Why do I have to quit talking mess about somebody? Why do I have to stop envying their truck? Why do I have to keep Christ as my cornerstone? Why? Here we go. Boom. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of the things I hate the most is when I tell someone I would like them to do something a certain way. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to call an audible and do it. With some, and then they do it differently. Like, I thought you'd like it that way more. I'm like, no, I liked it the way I asked you to do it. Right? This is what uh, my parents thought that many times about me. But... He says, I want you, God is saying, I want you to proclaim all that I've done for you. And he wants us to do it in the right way. As a spiritual house, being built by him, offering spiritual sacrifices, and a watching world gets to see his goodness. See, you've heard the phrase that 
that a church is a hospital for sinners. I'm not against that phrase. I like that phrase, okay? Amen, I like that phrase. But I believe in this text, we can see a different light of that. He's calling us to come together, to love one another, to keep Christ central, and to worship him, and to proclaim him. And so I think sometimes the the church isn't just a hospital for sinners. The church is a medical school, and we're sending doctors out into a broken world to bring hope and healing of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many people recognize their need of salvation in Wyoming and want to get saved. If Hallmark is the only hospital, bro, they're in trouble. That's a long way to get here. We can't just be a hospital for sinners. We've also got to be a medical school training up people to go out. Now, we're going out to plant a church in Wyoming, but you're going to work tomorrow. Or maybe not because it's holidays, but you're going to go to work again eventually. Hopefully. If not, we're a hospital for the broken. Come on. We got you. So whether you're going to to a hospital to work, whether you're going to school to teach, whether you're going anywhere, whether you're an electrician, whether you're a plumber, I don't know what you are, but whatever you do, you are a member of Hallmark Baptist Church. You're being sent out with the gospel to proclaim his goodness. So we put away divisive behavior. We keep Christ as our cornerstone. We proclaim him to a watching world. And then lastly, now he brings it to an individual level. We wage war on personal sin. Up to this point, it was a communal teaching lesson. You together are being a house. You together need to get rid of divisive behavior. You together need to uh, keep Christ as a cornerstone. You together need to proclaim him. Now it gets personal. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you or I beg you with dignity as sojourners and exiles, so as immigrants in this land, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. God is handcrafting Hallmark to be a spiritual house to worship him. And there's nothing that will squelch quench and kill the power of the Holy Spirit faster than personal sin in your life that's being unrepented of. If you want to know a way to ruin a church service, just sin and attend it. I'm not saying that you can't come here as a sinner and broken. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that if you're living in sin, man, the Holy Spirit's just going to do so little in your own life because you're squelching it. I hope that you hear, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect to follow Jesus. What I'm saying is that if you're not repenting of the sins when he shows them to you, you're going to lose a lot of the joy and a lot of the power that God does in your life. Now, the text says to abstain from those. That's an interesting word, abstain, abstinence we get from that. Let me illustrate for you what abstinence or abstaining from sin looks like. Is Lance in here? I don't know where he's at. My best friend said, there he is. That a baby. He can't text me back, but he did show up. Um, I was hunting with Lance a couple weeks ago in, around Tyler, Texas. It was cold. It was like 35. And I've been getting a lot of good gear to move to Wyoming. I'm already fat, so that's my insulating base layer. But I've been getting some nice gear on top of that. 
and I wanted to test out how warm it was. So it's 35 degrees. I'm like, all right, here we go. I got on a little, some leggings. Then I got on some little thin pants over it that are fancy and they're supposed to be warm. Okay? And I have on a sweatshirt. That's it. I get into the deer stand. It's pitch black. If you're a deer hunter, every tree stump looks like a deer, right? It's not. Sitting there. Sunrise comes. It's cold. I'm like, whew. A little chilling. Put my jacket on. Out of jacket. I had some extra layers in my backpack, right? I started with nothing and had some extras. I throw my extra big jacket on. I'm like, 30 minutes goes by, I'm still cold. So I get my fleece lined pants out and I put them suckers on, I shimmy them up, put them on, and I'm like, I'm gonna be hot now, I guarantee it. Sit back down, 30 minutes goes by, I am officially done with this hunt. I'm freezing, my thighs are numb, and I am mad. I haven't seen any stupid deer. It's probably because I've been moving and putting on clothes for the last hour. I'm angry. Lance put me in this deer stand. They had a tree cut out in front of me like 10 yards away. I couldn't see anything else. It was like from me to you, and that's all I could see. It was the worst deer stand I've ever been in my life. Thanks for taking me on the hunt. <coughs> I'm mad. Now forgive me for this. Next part. So I do my last ditch effort to get a deer to come out, and that is to use the restroom. If you've never tried that, it usually works. You'll see. So I get up, go through the thousands of layers I have on to go to the restroom. I finish, there's no deer. I'm mad. I sit down, I start swiveling in my chair. There's no deer out here. Not gonna see anything. And then you hear what every deer hunter hates to hear. Which is the sound of a deer saying, I saw you, sucker, and it runs. <laughs> and judging by the sound of the, Whoo! it was very, very close to me. I just couldn't see it past the other tree. And I remember, I was so mad. I didn't move for like 20 more minutes. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe it'll come back. It didn't. But that, what that deer did was abstain from death, right? It was coming. I was ready. I'd been practicing. It was going to be eaten, okay? If hunting hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. It doesn't hurt mine. Um, but that deer, when it saw this dude swiveling in a chair, it didn't go, hmm, let me see if that rifle's loaded. Looks like interesting, you know? Or, hey, he's got small hands. I bet he can't shoot that thing, right? <laughs> and so, no. When it saw movement, it lives its life thinking it's going to get killed, right? It would stink to be an animal. But it's walking through the woods, it hears something sketchy, and it goes, no, and it took off, right? You hear that noise. How many of you have ever heard a deer blow at you? Is there? Man, y'all need to hunt more. It's amazing. You totally understand this. But you hear this loud, and they're just snorting air out of their nose, and they're sprinting. And I hear crashing going away in the woods, and my hopes and dreams of having something to eat was gone. So I had to go to Whataburger. <laughs> and I say that as a joke, but I mean it. It didn't come any closer. Once it knew danger was near, it fled. And oh my goodness, how many embarrassing and humiliating phone calls have I had to make to my friends confessing my sin. Asking them to pray for me. How many times have I had to come to God? And I, he didn't make me feel this way, but I was embarrassed with my tail between my legs, 
ashamed of, of what I'd done or what I'd seen or what I'd said because I wasn't waging war on my personal sin. So that means when you're scrolling on Instagram and you see the photo you know you shouldn't see, just go like this, and throw your phone. Or, or ladies, when your husband, I'm getting all these illustrations from my own life, by the way, so I'm not judging you. This is all me. When your husband hasn't put his dish up for the umpteenth time, don't just go screaming at him, okay? Just blow and like, and just, just walk out. Just do whatever you got to do. But personal sin will ruin the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with my six months of just bitterness, it hurt other people around me. And so it all comes back to us being a spiritual house. And God is handcrafting Hallmark to be a spiritual house to worship him. But his blueprint requires us to put away divisive behavior, to keep Christ as a cornerstone and proclaim him to a watching world, and to wage war on personal sin. Maybe you're here, and, uh, and maybe as, as, God, as God's word has been preached, uh, maybe God's spoken to you, and, and you recognize that you, one of these things hits you, you know? Uh, I know I had to do some repenting before I could preach this sermon. But maybe, maybe as you've been here, you've recognized, man, I, I've been divisive in my behavior. Or maybe I've been trying to live life without Christ as the cornerstone, and uh, maybe I have been unfaithful in proclaiming him. And maybe I've not been waging war. I've been kind of home on furlough from that, from that personal sin struggle. And, and as your brother in Christ to you, as we begin to pray, I just would encourage you. I would, as Peter says, I urge you to go to the Lord and ask him for his forgiveness. It's there. If you don't think God will forgive you, just think back to a couple thousand years ago, what we just celebrated. He sent his son, and that son went to the cross for you to be forgiven. And so there's, there's grace and there's hope and there's forgiveness in the cross. You don't have to be embarrassed. So to my brothers and sisters in Christ, repent and walk closely. Be a part of what God is building here at Hallmark. And maybe, uh, maybe you're here and you realize that a lot of this was quite foreign to you. And, and let me just lovingly say, it's probably because you're not a family member in the house of God. If as you've heard the word preached, as you've heard this battle with sin and this battle with, uh, with, with wanting to be a spiritual house built up to worship God, maybe that seems stupid to you. Well, I pray that God would soften your heart. Maybe as you read it, you, you, or as you heard it, you realized... I want to belong to something like that. Well, I've got good news for you. My father loves adoption. And if you need a heavenly father, if you need a home to belong to, the front door is called Christ Jesus. And if you will come to him, if you will admit that you have sinned and departed from what God wanted for your life and you've done it on your own, you did it in ignorance. He will forgive you. If you will confess your sins and accept that God made a way through Christ Jesus for you to be made right with him, to get adopted into this family, to be a part of a spiritual household, 
If you'll admit that and you'll follow Jesus, then you can have a new life today. You can start 2019 with Christ. I promise you, it'll be harder than anything you've ever done. You thought I was going to say better, right? It'll be harder than anything you've ever done, but it will be more satisfying than anything. Someone get her some milk. There you go, yeah. I'm glad y'all got that. Living for Christ is the most difficult thing I've ever done. But it is also the most satisfying thing I've ever done. It is a satisfying that I can't find anywhere else, and that's why I came to Jesus. I spent a lot of time trying to find it somewhere else. And in Christ, I find hope and I find joy. Now, I'm going to ask you all to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. Again, brothers and sisters, if you need to just repent of some sin, you don't have to be saved. You're already saved. Christ's blood has covered it. Just repent. Turn away from it. Put it away. But if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, I'm going to say a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's just admitting those realities I just talked to you about. I'm going to say a prayer, and you can repeat it after me. And then after that, I'm going to ask you to look at me if you prayed that prayer, just so I can see if you did. Then I'm going to read a letter to this church. So if you need to give your life to Jesus, repeat after me. God, I love you. I'm sorry for the decisions I've made in my life. I didn't realize that I was sinning against you. I now realize that, and I want to change. I know that Jesus is God and he died for me. I know he is resurrected and is alive today. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. That you would send me your Holy Spirit and help me to follow Jesus all my days. I give you my life, Lord. It is yours. Do with it whatever you please. I love you, Lord. If you prayed that, you don't have to, but I'd love for you to. I'd like for you just to look up so I can see that you decided you wanted to follow Jesus today. And if you prayed that prayer, and if you're looking up at me, <coughs> I would love, there are so many staff and pastors and staff here that would want you to, to come and tell them so that they can help you become a member of this church and to begin being discipled and what it means to follow Jesus. And so I'm going to ask that you would, uh, you would come and tell somebody today. Let me pray for us all. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for letting me do what I do. Thank you for calling me to this. Thank you for this church. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, help Hallmark to become the house that you want to handcraft for your worship. It's in Jesus' name.